It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Take Talk Podcast. As always, I'm Stephen O'Rourke, and I'm with my co-host, Brett Whitefield. Brett? It was a good weekend of a lot of playoff playoff implicating games. And the 49ers this week came away with a great win, but at what cost? Ah. Uh, they I mean, in, in the words of Thanos, everything. <laughs> they lost everything after losing everything earlier this season. The 49ers just can't seem to keep a quarterback healthy, which is unfortunate because I mean, the offense and it showed because Brock Purdy stepped in and helped, you know, helped win the game. But this offense is built to kind of be like quarterback proof. Yeah. But that's not true for any team. Is it, is it no, actually, I don't think it's actually true. It's not, but it's like as close to yeah. as you can get. <laughs> they are definitely the closest team to, to accomplishing a QB proof system. I mean, shoot! They've they have Jimmy Garoppolo as the quarterback, so they were they were Super Bowl favorites out of the NFC, basically. So that tells you much of what you need to know, really. And he was playing, you know, well this yeah. so far this season. He was doing everything that he needed to. Like, listen, That's he Jimmy was, though. Exactly, it is. Yeah. He play well until he doesn't. You know, the 40, 49ers won this game thirty three seventeen over the Miami Dolphins, and it was a it was a absolute i mean they just tore miami apart limb for limb it was it was <laughs> that's it was a very strong defensive performance probably the strongest defensive performance we've seen against a tua led miami offense this season oh yeah definitively I mean, miami's offense was completely useless and i mean they got some garbage time you know, yards in the fourth quarter there. Yeah, they started they the game did. with a bang, the 75-yarder to Sherfield. Right, it looked like, like oh, that moment. Go. Yeah, from that moment until, gosh, late in the fourth quarter, they they pretty much did nothing. Or no, I guess it was the beginning of the fourth quarter, right, when Tyreek scored that touchdown. But, I mean, they went almost three quarters straight of absolutely nothing. Yeah. I mean, Tua had, I think he had a 24% off-target throw percentage on Sunday. Like that's far and away his worst of the year. Yep. Because that, I mean, that's Tua's one, that's not his one thing, but like that's Tua's thing is he doesn't throw off target balls. He may not have the greatest arm strength, but listen, the guy's going to put the ball on the receiver. And that's, I mean, that's something you can kind of lean on, but yeah. And, because I mean, his his season percentage is eleven point six percent, which I think is top three to five in the NFL right now. So like the forty nine, yeah, it's number two. The forty niners beat him up, and yeah, I think that like how how much of it do you think it is the forty niners, or how much of it do you think it is that the Miami lost their starting left tackle? Well, it's some of that for sure. Uh, I mean, Tua was definitely feeling the heat in this game. It also, like, turnover luck is such a big deal. Yes. Um, I know 49ers also turned the ball over, but Tua had two interceptions that really weren't his fault. One of them, you know, the receiver kind of fell down 
Um, I'm trying to, who was the receiver on that play? It was like a first and 25. I don't, I think it actually was the, was it? Yeah, it was the running back. Yeah. He was throwing, he was throwing like a little uh, Texas route or angle route. And uh, he kind of just falls and ball gets picked off. The other one was definitely, a, it was an inaccurate throw. It was a little high for Tyreek, but Tyreek went, there was no defender really in the vicinity to intercept that ball. But Tyreek got a hand on it, and it changed the trajectory of the ball. Right. Instead of just being an overthrow, safe and a safe overthrow, it actually ends up bouncing towards a defender. Right. And he picks it off. It's like, yeah, it's a bad throw, so it's to his fault from that standpoint. But he's he's not expecting to throw a pick there if it's an overthrow. Right. It's one of those where yeah. it's like nine times out of ten that goes mm-hmm. over his head, no harm, no foul, live to see another down. But that yep. happened to be the one time that you know it tipped the right way and went to the defender yep and that stuff is just i mean it sounds so coach cliche but turnover the turnover battle is the battle right especially against two good teams like you you know if if one of those goes miami's way this game probably looks a little bit different you know maybe miami ends i think one of them they were actually driving that maybe they score seven there and it's a little bit closer of a game so um, but the big story here is, is Jimmy going down and, and how does that affect the 49ers long-term? The most sources are saying it's a seven to eight week recovery. Like that's a, a reasonably optimistic view. Yes. You know, like he, he avoided the, what is it? Liz, Liz, Liz Frank. Liz yeah. Frank, Liz Frank, which is a Liz Frank is not terrible for quarterbacks, but that's a career killer for wide receivers. Oh yeah. It's a, yeah. I mean, it's a doomsday for a lot of people i know like players, a, a, yeah. nba even like wide receivers anybody that needs any type of athleticism and cutting yep. ability but now it just comes down to can brock purdy keep this thing afloat and more so can their defense just keep them in games enough for purdy to do enough yep one Oh, man, it's this has so much impact for a lot of reasons because oh, a ton. The 49ers were four and four four weeks ago. They've won four straight. You would you would assume that they're going to fall off a little. They play the Bucks this week, which is a tough matchup without your quarterback. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and Seattle, who's the current seven seed, is only a game behind them, and they they've got a pretty reasonable schedule coming up. I think right. They play Carolina this week. Right. Yeah, Seattle's um, not like I mean they don't have like a murderer's row or anything. Um, San Francisco, looking at their schedule, they what looked to be like a very very conquerable schedule. Schedule I would have, you know, mm-hmm. looking at it with Jimmy G at quarterback, I probably would have said they go at least four and one. Yeah, but now everything changes. Like you said, they go the Buccaneers present a tough challenge for a new quarterback. And then they play the Seahawks who, you know, it's in a divisional game that's, and it's at Seattle, which again offers its own challenges to a new quarterback. And then they go commanders, Raiders, Cardinals. That's the only really like cupcake game on there is the Cardinals and they play the 49ers reasonably tough. So that's uh all of those games now become interesting for them because they're not like I would have predicted them to win most of those games for sure. But without right. your quarterback, now your top two quarterbacks really, because Trey Lance was the day one starter. 
mean, these these turn into pretty tough games, man. I will um, say Purdy made like that throw that Purdy made to Kittle down the middle under pressure. I think it was like the third quarter. Mm-hmm. That shows like he's got something there. I mean, he had his arm is not that strong. He is not the most athletic, and obviously, there's a reason he was a third stringer. But at least in the game, he showed some signs of being able to make a throw when you need to stand in the pocket, escape pressure. I yeah. The rumor around the rumor around San Francisco is that Shanahan loved Purdy throughout training camp. Purdy can sling it. He he reminds me he's in that Kirk Cousins. Derek Carr, even Baker Mayfield mold, where he kind of has that sure. guns mentality. Even sure. though the arm talent isn't necessarily the best you've ever seen. It's not bad though, trust me. This guy, this guy can actually sling it, but he definitely is closer to the Baker Mayfield on that spectrum. I mean, he was an undrafted rookie for a reason, or I'm pretty sure he was undrafted, right? Or was he a late round pick? I think he was undrafted. Um so there's that. Plus, you know, he's just even in this game, he showed a real penchant. Oh, no, for... he was Mr. Irrelevant. Okay, uh, he was the last thing with that. He was 256. Cool. Yeah, but so even in this game, he showed a penchant for just making those boneheaded plays, which we saw in college. So I, I tried explaining this to uh, to Joe because I've watched a lot. I'm actually a big Brock Purdy fan, which is weird, but um, <laughs> because his freshman tape was Love outstanding. That. And him and Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, were in the same recruiting class. They were both freshmen at the same time. Right. And Purdy almost matched Lawrence throw for throw their their freshman year in college purdy was being talked about as a as a lock first round pick in the future and yeah. just never got better now to be fair lawrence didn't really either but lawrence's, <laughs> base, <laughs> lawrence's baseline was like already a little bit higher so i think he kind of right. just sustained that and rode that where purdy would kind of came out of nowhere to put up the freshman year he did and then just kind of got progressively worse um but per, fun fact about purdy he once threw an interception that was caught 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage in college. I, I don't even know. I'm trying to I'm trying to envision how that happens. It's one of the funniest plays of all time. I remember uh, I, at the time, I was a pretty big Purdy fan. I think he was a sophomore when it happened. And uh, Costco, John Costco uh, from PFF messaged me one day, and he was like, um, "What one play scouting, Brock Purdy is undraftable. <laughs> <laughs> One place, was, God, I love it. John was pretty close because, but that's the kind of thing you see with Purdy a lot, and you saw it in this game. the The first, um, I don't actually remember if it got intercepted or no, it didn't get intercepted. But it's like a third and ten play in the first quarter. He's it's like play action to the right. It's like a boot right, and he throws like twenty yards across his body to outside of the other hash mark, Steve. It's just like oh yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and that, that ball should have been picked off the corner just didn't know the ball was there but he ends up making a play but that's just the stuff you cannot do in the nfl like you see a lot of these super athletic big arm guys starting to break that rule a little bit throwing across your body but they do it for a couple like a little bit like the angle isn't that crazy you know right. like you saw Mahomes do it a few times on sunday yeah it's where well, the angle's not that crazy it's slightly behind them Purdy literally threw this thing to the other side of the field, rolling the opposite direction. And that is the kind of stuff that you see with, with Brock. And 
I really think he's capable of playing good football if he can clean up the mental part of it. Like he's just just really gets in his own. Like he's he's feeling himself, man. He's going. I'm gonna make a play, man. I don't care. I'll throw an intercept twenty yards behind the line of scrimmage. I don't care. But that's the type of stuff that could sink a team. You know, 49ers are really gonna have to rely on that run game in that defense to to keep the uh, the truck moving or the train moving, so to speak. Yeah, because I mean, it's all about obviously taking as much of the outcome of the game out of Brock Purdy's hands as possible. Yeah. In my opinion, it's just like you have a defense that, I mean, they're they're really good. Their defense is really good, and they sh- I mean they showed it on Sunday. They finally were the first team to really kind of shut down Tua McDaniel on that offense. Yep. And I mean, like Tua's over the middle game was not non-existent for the first time this year, which is, I mean, which is amazing. I mean, San Francisco's linebackers are so good at shutting down the middle of the field. And but, uh, your boy, the safety, uh, Hufunga. Yeah. Hufunga. Yeah. Yeah. He's he, fast. He's, he what plays, he plays surprised like, me with his coverage skills. He plays like a banshee. It's all, it's great, but ju- they just need Brock Purdy to do as little as possible while also just, keeping the offense on task, keeping yep. it moving. That's all he has to do, which I think, again, this is a team that that can work with. If there were ever a team that could still roll, keep rolling a little bit, this is the team. I mean, they have, we've seen it and we've talked about it over and over again. They have so many weapons on offense. Just get the guys the ball and let them go. And in, in not just so many weapons on offense, but so many weapons on offense that simplify things for your QB. Yes. This is, these aren't guys that you have to, to scheme up 30 yard bombs to, to make work. Right. These are guys, you literally just get them the ball in space, which Shanahan is amazing at doing and let them do the work for you. They have five of them for God's sakes. They got Christian McCaffrey, Debo, Ayuk, Kittle, even Kyle Juszczyk is, right. is a valuable asset in that regard. Right. Um, wh- uh, Jawan Jennings is really good after the catch. Like, just make this easy on Brock. Let him get the ball quick. Almost, they need to run the Tua offense, really, which is obviously a variation of what the 49ers are already doing. True, um, true. Just keep it that simple. Um, maybe cut down on those those heavy rollouts and those those plays where where Purdy's you know being asked to kind of yeah a little bit. Just keep his like keep his time to throw below two point three. Yeah. Keep his average time to throw yep. below two point three, and just I mean, shoot, like you said, you can put every play. You can put McCaffrey and Debo on checkdown routes, and yep. they're two of the best guys to take checkdown routes and go get you ten yards when they should have gotten when everybody else would get you two. That's the joy. Sure. Of, that's the joy of being a quarterback in that offense. I'm sure. And so, but all that to say. It sounds great on paper. Now Purdy has to go and actually put it out there because this division just became a lot more competitive with a lot more competitive with Seattle. You know, their offense is still humming. Their defense has taken a step back a little bit, but they, I mean, San Francisco still controls their own destiny. Yep. Um, yeah. And Seattle just continues to win games too. Like, even when they start to falter, then I mean, granted, it was the Rams. This game honestly shouldn't have been as close as it was, especially because Geno Smith was playing pretty well. Um, yeah, Geno Smith made like f- 
you know, four throws, his average of about four throws a game where he just lights the world on fire, puts it in a spot where everybody, where nobody thinks he can, even though he's proven that he can every single time this year. And he, he led him to a victory, but it's honestly ridiculous. It is. It's awesome. And I wish that they, I can't wait for when Seattle plays someone legit again and we can talk about them again because you know like i feel like we haven't talked about we haven't been able to talk about the seahawks as much lately and i mean gino's like i said gino's still absolutely rolling yep or not to get off track um the other side of this game this this dolphins 49ers game was the dolphins yes the left tackle issues certainly reared their their head when do what do we have a prognosis report on Armstead? Um, I'll look that up. You because they got the Chargers this week, and I know the Chargers have kind of been one of the most frustrating teams this season. One, all of the injuries, two, their their play calling. They they've taken themselves out of being competitive in multiple games just just from game plans perspective. But they do have uh, Joey Bosa coming back, right? Or is he back? He's got. He, I know he's got to be coming back soon. All right, I um, I should have looked up all of this injury news before we jumped on the podcast, Steve. But I okay, never mind. Joey Bosa not close to return is the okay. most recent headline about him. Toronto, so, Toronto Armstead has just a litany of injuries, <laughs> which that's not crazy. surprising. It's just like he has a toe, he has a pack, he has an ankle. All Did you know he's never actually played a full season in the NFL? I mean. I'm looking at looking at this synopsis. It's not surprising. The yes. dude's just a walking the walking injury report. You can make your own injury report about him. But so he Steve was explained this to me though. I got I got he got ruled out. He got ruled out before the game, basically. So oh, I'd say there's a ch- he's going to be like week to week. I got to go on a side tangent really quick. All right. I know you you were asking me before we started the show. Do you have anything interesting you want to start with? <laughs> And I didn't because I, I was just having marble brain. Right. But now I, I want to talk about this. Found it. So a lot of the injury experts in our space, even our own Edwin, Dr. Edwin. Yep. Um, great, great opinions, great facts. They're very well-studied people, obviously. Yes. But they constantly always talk about how injury-prone is not a thing. Okay. Yep. I <laughs> Is it? There's no way that's true, right? It's, like I want, I want to sit Edwin down in a, in a corner and just, I don't know, torture him into telling me the truth about this. I feel like it's, it's not nice to say a guy's injury prone, so that's why they avoid it. But it can't be true that it doesn't exist. You think it's just like it's this dark, dark state secret that doctors are holding on to because they don't want to ruin anybody's lives or their opinions about themselves, but. I, t- I feel like injury prone is a lot like momentum. It's all the, it all depends on who you are and what you believe. Do you, be- <laughs> yes. do you, do you believe in momentum? Oh, I 100% believe in momentum. Exactly. Anyone that's played the game of football believes in momentum. The only people who don't have never played. <laughs> I know. I agree. But there are a large, there's a large sector of people that are like, no, momentum isn't real. And I think it goes the same, like injury prone's the same way. Like if you're a person who has never really been injured, yeah. And, and like maybe you've been injured once or twice in whether it's football or whatever sport, but that's it. Then you're like, no, 
nobody like nobody's injury prone like like i'm not injury prone i like it's like all you clearly yes. whatever they come up with whatever reason they want but like other people who maybe have gotten hurt more often i feel like they're more you know inclined to say like oh yeah injury prone is a thing all right so maybe then for for the layman like you and i maybe we can't conclude that there's such thing as anatomical injury proneness but maybe there is other contributing factors. Well, there's there's mental toughness, right. but there's also play style. Like yes. George Kittle, the way he plays football, I guarantee you it incurs more injuries than the way normal people play football because he's not normal. He literally takes his fan or his face and he throws it into a fan, play and play, a, you know, play after right. play. Right. And, he plays the game more physically violent than most people play the game. Right. He ends up injured quite a bit because of that. Taron Armstead is very much the same way. He This guy's never played a full season, but he is an absolute mauler, grinder, phenomenal in pass pro, but in the run game, he will also stick his face into a fan and tell you what's up. Play and play again. Like, I, so does that, so maybe there's a play style contributor here. Saquon Barkley. Yes. Another I, one. 100% agree with that because if you think of a guy think of a guy like uh, Tyler Lockett or even Amon Ross St. Brown guys who understand when and where to take their chances otherwise yeah. it's like catch the ball run a little bit get down on the ground like, yes. don't, like it's not worth the hit it's not worth the hit and then there's also guys who like I've been watching DeAndre Swift the last couple of weeks all I can think when I watch him is like dude you're gonna get hurt doing this Yes, because it's and it's not in the same mold of Kittle. No, it's the opposite. It's, it's the exactly. It's the opposite of like shying He's, away, where it's like, dude, yeah. you're gonna get hurt because you're you're pulling up. Nobody else is pulling up because you're not a quarterback, and so like you're taking these hits at angles that like you yep. don't normally take hits at. And he's a, but he's another guy that like he yeah. we we see him pop up on the we've seen him pop up on the injury report like every week since he entered the league and so i think there's a lot of merit to that i think it's more it's maybe not the anatomical like yes maybe we can't point to bones not healing all the way or ligaments right, not right. healing all the way like we can't get down to that level but you can like definitively watch a guy play and say that's a method that's going to get you hurt right so Swift I, is an interesting one too dude because you're spot on with that he like he plays so shy sometimes where like there were like every time he gets tackled near the sideline, he falls so awkwardly. Yes. It's because he's pulling up. Like you said, and the defender is like, that's not a quarterback. I'm going to hit that man. Right. I'm going to get that guy on the ground. Right. And a lot of Swift, even when he runs out of bounds, he still takes a hit. I swear to God. So like, annoying. <laughs> I swear to God. Every single one of his injuries have come from a hit going out of bounds. I, you're hundred percent. The shoulder <laughs> this year was that, right? Yeah. The sh he, he was like five yards out of bounds when he fell down. What was it last year? Cause last year I swear to God, it same was, thing. It was same the thing. same exact thing. So like, yeah, yeah like injury, injury prone may not be, we may have cracked it. Injury prone. isn't necessarily a thing. Like you can point to an x-ray and say, this guy is more likely to get injured than this guy, you know, yeah. just looking at like put a B testing, put two just random knee x-rays, knee MRIs or whatever up on the screen and say, who's more injury or pro injury prone. That right. might not be a thing, but like, I think that it, it is play style and there are guys who are more likely to get hurt based on the way they play than other guys. I think 
there is a lot of merit to that. One last point on this too. NFL teams for sure think players are injury prone. Oh, I mean, the yes. medical examination part of the draft is one of the most underrated aspects of the combine. And really not a lot of people talk about. Well, I mean, but those the, medical reports are huge for them. There is always one the guy. Line. There is one guy every year. I swear who we like, who we talk about where something pops up in their medical yeah. report and they slip for whatever reason yep. it happens. It's guaranteed to happen every year. Yep. The most uh, memorable one to me is uh, Maurice Hurst. Yes. That's a good that one. That dude. He was a top 20 player on, I think, just about every team's board. But granted, he hasn't worked out to the level we thought he would in the NFL. But then he had that heart thing come up, and teams were deathly afraid of drafting him. Yeah. So, All right, let's move on. We covered 49ers, Dolphins. We covered injury proneness Well, Maybe we'll get Edwin on. He's one of the few fantasy points guys we haven't had on. That's true. That'd be fun. That would be that a happen. fascinating segment to like go in detail about injury stuff. Yeah. Him. Yeah. It'd be a good like playoff primer. Who's injured? Who's not? Where do we see Ooh. that type of idea? Yeah, that would be that would be, be fun too. I also fun. just want to like corner him and make him talk about being injury prone. Um, uh, I don't think this game really. Just to like say one more thing, I don't think this game really had much. I didn't draw much from it as far as um, Miami. Like Miami got beat. To have played <laughs> a bad game, for, you know, for the first time in a while. It's just the way it goes in the NFL sometimes. I'm sure they'll bounce back, and, you know, not often are you going to see a linebacking core coupled with a front four like you will against San Francisco, and they won't see anything like that really the rest of the way. True. So, you know, good on San Francisco because that – I mean, the defense is going to need to keep them rolling. Next yep. game. All right, let's go – let's go Philly-Tennessee because this game went about – is exactly how I thought it would, except that it went nothing like I thought it would. I mean, I did think the Eagles would win. I thought the Eagles would win rather easily. Right. But this was not the tale. There was a point, because like, I, I threw out the number of 80 rush attempts. Yes. We, we ended yes. up with 45. Okay, we barely made half of 80. Now, I didn't think they'd actually get to 80, but I thought it was in the realm of possibilities for what oh, this yeah. game could look like. Yeah, and Philly just said, "Nah, nah. This is AJ Brown, Devontae Smith game. We we see flaws in in Tennessee's secondary. We, we also want we also want to get Tennessee's GM fired. Yeah, <laughs> so we're gonna force the ball to AJ Brown and and make that guy look silly. <laughs> How crazy would it be if like Philly signed him to their uh, front office staff <laughs> in some way, shape, or form, just as like the ultimate full circle? F you." But it is funny because he found him, right? He drafted AJ Brown. He drafted so AJ. Like, yes, that's a that's a win for his career. But then he decided he didn't want to pay him, and then traded him. So <laughs> you live by AJ Brown, you die by AJ Brown. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's, I guess that's life. Uh, but the, I mean, I did you see this type of passing performance ha- like coming? I didn't think they were going to throw the ball this game. I thought they were right. just going to run. Tennessee had been bad against the run recently, too. And Tennessee's pass defense from week 7 to 12 was top 5 in the NFL. Like, they were rolling. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they had flipped, right? Because they were a dominant they were, run defense. Right. Early. They were terrible. You started, to see, 
terrible yeah. against the pass, really good against the run early in the and season. Like just kind of flipped. Right. And then they're set, they have a young secondary. Their secondary started to figure it out. Super uh, young. David Long Jr. has been so good this year. Mm-hmm. Like they just got in their pass rush started to figure it out. They started to figure it out a little bit too. But their pass defense was, I mean, they were giving up a 80.4 passer rating from week seven to 12, like 61 and a half percent completion percentage, um, 5.4% turnover worthy throw rate. Like, I mean, they were playing really, really well coming into this game. And then Philly <laughs> just said, Hey, watch this. If you remember this guy and they just dunked on him for the entire game. <laughs> yeah. It, and it was a bloodbath, man. Holy cow. I mean, now, granted, um, the Titans did play – did Davis Mills in that stretch. You know what, though? They had Mahomes and Burrow, I think, in that stretch too, didn't they? It's, yeah, it's not like they played the cupcake schedule. I don't think they played a ton of, like, interdivisional games. Yeah, so they played – they had Mahomes, they had Rodgers and Burrow in that stretch. Yeah. They also had Mills and, and, and uh, Russell Wilson. So, what's your – yeah, to your point, it completely flipped. When when Jeffrey Simmons got hurt, at the time he got hurt, he was playing like probably the best D tackle in the league, not named Aaron Donald. Yes. And then when he came, he has not been the same guy since he came back. I think maybe that's why their run defense slipped a little bit. Um, I didn't pay close enough attention to see how they were managing that group this game, but the Eagles clearly thought that the the weeks one through six Titans defense was the the accurate one, so they attacked it appropriately. Yeah, they. I I think Jalen. This put Jalen Hurts. I think he had not necessarily been slipping, but he had just been kind of average. Coasting. He was coasting. Yeah, he was coasting. But I think yeah. this like immediately reinserts himself right back into the MVP conversation. I think Mahomes. <clears throat> I think Mahomes is leading the way still, but Jalen Hurts. Uh, you know, he said, "Hold on a minute." We still got six weeks in this thing. Let me, let me, let me bring myself back into the conversation. He was 70, 74% completion percentage, 130 passer rating. Uh, his ADOT was 8.9, 0% turnover worthy throw rate, 5% uh, wow, wow throw rate in this game. Like he completely controlled and dominated this game from the opening drive. He also got some help. The Titans decided not to cover players multiple times. Yeah, that's like, one, one a, of them being AJ Brown. <laughs> it's a bold strategy. It rarely does it work. <laughs> Didn't work. Do you, think, do you think Vrabel maybe told that corner, "Hey, don't cover AJ on this play"? <laughs> that was it. I want to. I want to get revenge on my GM. <laughs> was this all just one big inside scheme of they've been yeah, waiting for like, this game all year? Like if I don't get if I don't get to hire my own GM, then I'm I'm leaving. I'm going to Ohio State. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's your that's your rumor that we can bring to bring to another day for. Well, you we can't say able. rumor; it's conspiracy, conspiracy. Yeah, theory, conspiracy. But. Sorry, not a rumor. But Philly rolled. What does this mean for Tennessee? Go like, do you take anything away from this going into the last five weeks, coming into yeah. the playoffs, like? You absolutely can, because it, what it proved, again, this has happened a few times this year, probably five, actually, um, where when they play a defensive line with a modicum of talent, 
they cannot run their offense. And we saw it again this week. This offensive line for Tennessee is the worst offensive line Derrick Henry has had the privilege of playing behind by far in his career. Privilege. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's not good. And any team that has a decent defensive line has has the ability to shut them down pretty quickly. When you shut Henry down, you shut down that passing game pretty easily as well because, you know, old cliches, play action's not working. You know, Tannehill can't get in a rhythm. They're looking at a lot of third and long. You know, you do Tannehill with this receiving core on third and long, like, holy crap, look out. That is not going to be a pretty sight. Um, they can't pass protect either, so that makes it even harder. They, There's I, a lot of issues there. Tannehill got sacked six times in this game. Yeah. And they just, I mean, at least probably for this week, they lost their one bright spot in their receiving core, or at least one of the few bright spots in their receiving core so far in Traylon Burks. I, whether you want to admit that he's good or not, he's been one place where like they can produce numbers in the last couple weeks. I don't know what happened to Robert Woods, Steve, but that dude has fallen off a cliff. I just think that he's he's being asked to be a number one receiver, and that's just not who he is. He's a complimentary guy. He's a number two guy. He's a guy that you want to pair. You want to you want to have him matched up. He doesn't, against he doesn't even look like that to me, though. That's that's fair. Yeah, he doesn't even. They really need Kyle Phillips back. They're their superstar rookie wide receiver. They need him back, uh-huh. and when, I don't know when, but this is supposed to be December. Is supposed to be Derrick Henry's month. True, and it's not off to a great start. He hasn't hit over a hundred yards since. Uh, I can't do the week. I can't count the weeks backwards, but it's been four straight games without over without over a hundred yards, and two out of those four games he's gone under fifty. And he's only lucky because one of them was over 53, like was at 53 yards in those four weeks. He's been completely neutralized. Yeah. This offensive line is scary bad. Um, Back to Burks though. Am I allowed to make my poor taste joke on this podcast that I, that I made the other day? I mean, you can do whatever you want. It's our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So what I said in our, in our company chat, well, our, our, you, me and Chris chat, is that if Traylon Burks had a vertical bigger than 10 inches, he wouldn't have gotten knocked out on that play. <laughs> That's right. He's so even when, even when Burks makes a great play, I find a way to discredit it with something <laughs> like that. But no, for, for real, that was a phenomenal catch. I'm still not sure how he held on to the ball. Yeah, I don't I, either. I don't that understand was, that. He, got sh- he got shellacked. That was one of the worst. Did, did Epps get penalized for that? He did, right? Yes. He should have. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there were a decent amount of those hits this week, but there were. I was thinking the same there thing. Were a decent there were so Jeff- many defenseless receivers just getting whacked. Justin Jefferson took a couple this week too, but we can get to that in a second. But I this worries me as far as the Titans finishing the season, and I mean, gosh, that AFC the AFC South is just a disaster. And so Tennessee probably – I imagine Tennessee ends up winning that division. Who's, who's catching them, bro? Like, Dude, I, me, they could probably lose out and they would win they the division. They probably could. <laughs> they play another – like they play the Jaguars tight twice, the Texans, and then they get the Chargers and the Titans in there as well. The they Chargers still have a three-game Chargers and the Cowboys, division. yeah. 
Well, that's what I mean. Jaguars have two games against them. That's a great way to make up ground. But I just Fair. again just give just give a team or give the NFL a fourth wild card <laughs> instead of making us watch both South divisions in the NFL. Yes. But Titans lack of offense and it hasn't really it's not showing any signs of improvement. I mean, if you look at it, most of their wins this year have kind of come on the heels of their uh defense. Mm-hmm. They have not put up a lot slash many points in any game this year. I think what is that? It looks like their highest scoring game this year was twenty is twenty four points. And they've done that yep. twice. So like this, like if they fa- if if they face an offense that can go off, they're kind of screwed. And especially if they face an offense or a defense that can shut down Derrick Henry, the entire thing yeah. just goes to crap. And this is the iteration of the Titans that we kind of thought would happen going into this year. It was an it was a team that looked to be marred by not having a lot of offensive firepower and a defense. Hey, they lack talent in general, right? And yeah, yeah, and a defense that lost their two best pass rushers. And the the emergence of David Long has been awesome. I think he's been playing great, but still, they're a young defense that doesn't have again doesn't have any difference makers outside of like Simmons and David Long, and that's an interior defensive lineman and a linebacker. Yeah, Kevin Biard is good too, but you need your corners to hold up better if he's going to make an impact because he's a deep safety. So. Right, right. Um, closing thoughts on this game. So we've been skeptical because Vrabel is such a good coach. We've been really kind of reserved about saying the Titans are a non-factor in the AFC. Yes. But I'm pretty confident now just saying they're just not a factor in the AFC. They're just I think they're probably, you know, destined for a first round playoff loss again. Yeah, I just and, uh, can't see their offense I just can't see their offense keeping up and their defense plays great for stretches, but it's a matter of I don't think that they can hold up for an entire game in a way that's like, basically at this point, they need to hold a team to 17 points or less. And I don't know if they can do that against a lot of the teams that they would face in the playoffs. I'll take this a step further. I think if you look at the top 10 teams in the AFC, so real quickly, that's Buffalo, Kansas city, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Miami, New York, New England, and the chargers and the Raiders. I don't know that I would take Tennessee against any of them in a, in a playoff situation. Nope. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's not good. All right. As far as the Eagles go, there's they're back in the number one slot. I don't, they didn't lose it for very long. Um, didn't right. Didn't Minnesota take it for a week? No, they didn't. The Eagles have always had it. No, I'm, yeah. I'm absolutely tripping right now. It's all right. Um, yeah. So the Eagles are still in the, the one seed. They, they are. They basically just wanted to remind everyone that they're still here. Yes. I think that that's yes. what this game was. They kind of like again, like we said, they were kind of coasting. You can make the game. argument too that that's like the best team they've beat since Minnesota week two. I would. I so agree. They get that's kind of they get the Giants they, this week. Yeah. So the Eagles look great. Nothing really to change there. Let's move on. Uh, do you want to do Chiefs Bengals? Yes. <laughs> Banger of a game came down to the wire ish. Like we thought it would. Uh, the, so the Kansas city chiefs go into Cincinnati, they lose 24 to 27. They had the Bengals on the ropes going into the fourth quarter. They had a seven point lead and then the Bengals just turned it up a little bit. They made those extra plays. 
And they just... would have scored 10 points in the fourth, held Kansas City scoreless. And they get it done, and, and the Bengals continue to remind everyone that they are back. I Yeah. I mean, this is all about what the I, – like, I think this is all about what the Bengals and Joe Burrow are and have been and are going to continue to be for the last, like, seven weeks. I think they're 6-1 and one in their last seven games after a 2-3 and three start. That's that's awesome. Like and Bur- Burrow's playing better QB right now than anyone. Yeah, d- definitively, I think. Yeah. He's yeah. I mean, he's standing in, making every throw. He's completely cleaned up like footwork, eyes, all of that in the pocket. Which was my challenge in preseason on the preseason podcast. Right. That was my challenge. Right. Cuz like the offensive line hasn't gotten better as the season's gone on. No. Nah, Not nah. like in any like real big way they've improved in spots and you know he they have their games where they do better but like overall that offensive line still is not very good it's just that now burrow is standing in he's making the throws he's not panicking he's he's understanding that nine times out of a ten his receivers are better than every other secondary in the nfl and that someone's gonna win and it's just a matter of finding that guy and he is finding that guy that's what I was going to say. The, the the reminder here, too, with Chase back in the fold is that it, it's been T. Higgins for the last five weeks tearing it up or four weeks or whatever. Yeah. And he had three catches for 35 yards in this game. It just shows you that they can do whatever they want with whoever they want because there's the chances are you don't have three corners that can cover these three receivers. Um, it was it's, It was just impressive. You know, they ran the ball incredibly well, too. That was – so the Bengals have been running the ball very well. I'd say yeah. Huron looks good. That I what? so that I was gonna lead into it. Who do you like? I think Pirine gets way more snaps now. I think he deserves it. He oh, was Pirine was always like their third down back. He had been their third yeah. down back for since last season. Everybody talked about it in the Super Bowl. Oh my gosh, why is Pirine in? Why do they throw him the yeah. ball like that? That was a whole discourse for a week, but. P. Ryan just has, I think P. Ryan has just a more complete game than Mixon. A yeah. A little bit. Like Mixon has. I mean, I think they're both pretty complete players, to be honest. Yes. I, I think they do a lot of the same things when they do them well. And, but there's no reason to give Mixon 30 touches in a game when you have P. Ryan on your team. Right. Then I think that's the biggest it's thing is that, like, if anything, they learn that they don't have to. Cause that had been kind of their kind of their mm-hmm. thing all season is give Mixon 25 to 30 touches a game. And that's, yep. that's fine and great. And, you know, it was working, but I think that it can work even better now. And now like when you have, I feel like when you have a third down back, you, it's, you can tip your hand a little bit, a little bit. Like, it's just the nature of it. You see a back come in, you're like, okay, I think like we can surmise that it's like an 80% chance that they're going to throw the ball here right. based on, based on personnel, based on the back that's in. And I think that they have a chance to like, take that out of their, take that out of their uh, tells, which, you know, any, any way you can, any way you can continue to keep defenses on their toes. I mean, you got to do it. Yep. The other angle of this with the chiefs offense, I thought Mahomes still played pretty good. But I think this was really – so the literal opposite of what we saw with Cincinnati is where you do see the talent deficiencies at wide receiver. 
when you're yes. playing a defense as good as the Bengals, who's they're gonna they're gonna play patient. They played patient this entire game. They didn't get too cute with they blitzed Mahomes a couple times early in the game, then they really backed off that. They were, you know, playing really, really sound zone coverage for the most part. They'd mix in a little man when necessary. But the reality is is like Mahomes couldn't run the ball with his legs. Yep. In in most pass plays, he was dropping back. He was holding the ball forever, Steve, trying to get a guy to come open, and he just couldn't find a guy to come open. Um, outside of Valdez Scantling on that scramble drill, there really wasn't much going on, like in the intermediate or down downfield. Like uh, Mahomes' air yards this game were like really really low. Everything he he had to take everything underneath. And he only completed 16 passes. I do think the right. Chiefs got a little cutesy, though, with the run game. They were running the ball pretty effectively. They did take that lead. And I think they, for whatever first time we've seen in a while, they, they got a little conservative. Um, probably because of how patient the Bengals are playing on defense. But, uh, you know, all it takes is one three and out to change the whole game. And that's basically what happened. So, And that I think that's what the Bengals want teams to do against them. Yep. Like, it's they want you to have to be patient and that's why i think they're so good against kansas city because if there's if there's one thing that you can like i don't know if knocking is the right word but if there's the one thing that you can say about mahomes it's that a lot he loves to make a big play he loves to make plays Mm -hmm. and i think sometimes patient like sometimes his patience runs thin when the game gets on the line yep and that's what, well, and that's why Cincinnati's three and zero against them in their last three games, all of which were pivotal, have been pivotal games in, over the course of a season. Yeah, and we've talked about this a lot on the pod too, where Mahomes has been very good at playing the patient game until right, it's time not to. And so, what normally happens in a game is, you know, Mahomes has to take all these underneath throws or these really short throws doesn't work the intermediate deep parts, you know, for a while. And then eventually the defense, they make mistakes and Mahomes exploits those mistakes. Then they get the big plays, right? They get a ton of big plays and they start piling up. Well, the Bengals just don't make mistakes. Yeah. In all three games, they just don't do it. They do not allow it to happen. We will give you the short throw every time, but we are not going to make a mistake in the back end of this defense and give you a freebie. And they got one early in the game to Valdez Scantling and, the Bengals shut it down after that. There was nothing not to beat a dead horse, but it, it really is remarkable. So eventually, you know, either Mahomes is going to have to force a ball, which he didn't do in this game, credit to him. Right. Or they're going to have to play this conservative game plan. And and if it's not working, then they're not scoring points. So Bengals seem to be in the, in the chief's head right now, but this game had massive playoff implications, right? Because, the Chiefs are fighting for a one seed. Yeah, the Bengals are fighting for the, the division. They're tied with the Ravens. Ravens currently own the tiebreaker, but you know they have quarterback issues there. That could change very quickly. Yeah, the Bengals are now sneakily in play for the one seed as well. It's the Bengals' schedule down the stretch, though. That it is. They they do have a rough it's schedule. A, it's a brutal schedule down the run. But Point that- being, we've seen we've seen a flawed Chiefs team. Now we've seen a flawed Bills team. I, I'm betting favorites one of those two teams is the one seed, but if the Bengals win out, definitely don't count them out as, as potential one seed. There. If the Bengals win out, they're, I mean, what they're, hold on before I say that they're, 
well, for sure the two seed. Kansas City would have to slip up once. But yep. if, if they won out, they would have they face the Bills. Oh, they do. In uh week seventeen, which Okay, great. That's a that's a battle for two or one seed or AFC championship. I mean, I think that we can confidently say that it's the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Bengals in the AFC, and then it's everybody else. Am I right? Am I... What if Armstead comes back quickly? Does that elevate the Dolphins in your mind? Gosh, that's right. I forgot about the Dolphins. Um, It does, but I still like the defenses of those three teams to manufacture a game plan in that week when, like, you know, when it's push all your chips on the table – one game to win it all. I think that those three defenses match up better against Miami's offense than Miami's defense matches up against any of those. Yep. I, I think I agree with that. And, that's, I, and I think that's where, like, I don't disagree that Miami's offense could still put points on the board. I just don't know if their defense could hang with um, those three offenses for an entire game. Yeah. Fair. And so, yeah, no knock against Miami's offense. I think that if they, if and when they get Teron Armstead, and even if they don't, I think that McDaniel's smart enough that they can manufacture ways to to continue to produce 28-plus points a game. Yep. It's just it, – I just think – I just don't trust their defense when it comes in a shootout to get a, to get a pivotal stop. Agreed. Um, I do want to cover the Tampa Bay New Orleans game. Before we get to that, though, I do want to make a couple other notes that are playoff relevant. Okay. One, the Dallas Cowboys destroyed the Colts. I don't really want to get into that game, but it's worth noting because Dallas is absolutely surging right now. Yes. And other than the Eagles, I think Dallas is probably the other favorite to yeah, come out of. It was. It was pretty the- clearly. It was the 49ers for me, but obviously with the Jimmy G injury. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the Cowboys offense is completely different with Dak, and Dak is like finally back in the swing of things, I think. Mm-hmm. Like he's fully back integrated into the offense, healthy, confident. And that's scary because that offense, every time, it's the only issue with the Cowboys is that Dak hasn't necessarily been healthy for extended periods of time. But when Dak is healthy, that offense has gone. They go yep. with him, and they're doing it again. And I think that this feels like a different Cowboys team than the last three years. Well, and they've learned from past mistakes. Like since since like the big concern when Zeke came back was like, oh, this is going to turn into the Zeke Elliott show. And they have found a way to maximize Zeke while also maximizing Pollard. And it's a two-headed monster that's a little scary. And Pollard's out touching Zeke um, since he's been back. Yeah. Just a few touches, but it's still – it's more that 50-50 split we wanted that we thought was appropriate rather than the, the Zeke show. Yep. And it's really helped his offense because Pollard is such a weapon in the pass game. Yes. Um, he's, he's, so, he's so explosive in – He's just a player that you want on the field all the time, and we were concerned that they were going to take him off, and they haven't. Yes. They, you yep. know, and – also, CD Lamb is coming alive with Dak behind center. Yes, I think he, he trusts and, and enjoys playing with Dak more than anyone. Dak, obviously, well, Dak but... is more willing to put the ball in some of those tight windows for yeah. CD, 
and CDs look they're getting more involved with some some uh, manufacturer touches as well, which yeah. I've never understood why that wasn't a thing. I would be getting CDs one of the receivers similar to Debo where he's so good in space and after the catch I would be looking to get the, him the ball pretty often, pretty yeah. frequently. Yeah, um, I, be, I wouldn't should, only try to get those deep targets for him. He should be a ten to fifteen touch game guy. Yeah, in, in this game he had seven targets and then two two carries on on trick plays, which great. I, I love the trick plays. There he had twenty three yards rushing and then, um, and then he had five catches for seven one. So they're getting close to that. Uh, they didn't have to do much in this game because this one. <laughs> I mean that it's the Colts, Colts, for Colts offense is for terrible, but the Cowboys yeah. defense is is fun to watch and. You know, everybody like we we said it earlier in the in, in this podcast that you know turnover luck is a thing, but uh-huh. I guess if the Cowboys are just going to carry this it's turnover, what? It's not for the Cowboys. It's just not for two years. No. Yeah, <laughs> like it's we're going on two years here. So I until until it completely turns its head, the Cowboys are great at producing turnovers, and with Dak in the game, they don't turn the ball the ball over that much. That it's it's a recipe for a it's a recipe to make a run in the playoffs. It's reminding me of of early Legion of Boom. Ooh. Now they don't have this, quite the secondary talent that that team had, but like the system's pretty similar. They're utilizing other zone concepts more than just that Seattle cover three, but they still play the Seattle cover three quite a bit. They're playing a lot of cover two. They'll mix in some quarters, some six, a little bit of man as well. But this defense, they're all ball hawks. They're all going for strips. They're all going for picks. They have the the pass rush talent. Like that Legion of Boom team, the, the, the secondary got all the credit. But what people forget, man, is they had multiple demons rushing the passer. Well, yeah, well, had, that's what helped them make the leap was yeah, when they so brought in Bruce Irvin and Cliff Averill. And Michael Bennett and Chris Clemens. Like all those elephant Leo type players <laughs> that just fit that scheme so well. They right. in the Dallas, they have their guys. They've got a bunch of them. It's not just Parsons either. Yeah. It's Dorrance Armstrong when they need him to make a play. Yeah. He's been making plays. It's um Demarcus Lawrence when he's available. Demar- well, yeah, Demarcus Lawrence, obviously. It's the um the the one they brought in from Atlanta, Faller, Dante Faller. It's Yep. I love Donovan Wilson. I love how they play Donovan yeah. Wilson in there as like their Cam di- Chancellor. He's there's the like enforcer. time, put him in the box. Like we'll even use him as a, our second linebacker a lot of times. Yep, he's the enforcer in that defense. Like, if you want to throw the ball over the middle, you're gonna have to deal with Donovan Wilson. Yeah. So the Cowboys are a force to be reckoned with, and I they play the Eagles one more time this year, right? Yes. At that, I think that could be a very fun game to watch. That's could be up there for game yeah. of the, game of the year. Steve, opinion. we've hit all the podcasting cliches today. We've said hashtag fun to watch like seven times. Love it. So, all right. I didn't even want to talk about that game. We just wanted to note that the, the Cowboys are surging. Yeah. Another quick note, too, before we, we – we're going to end with Saints-Tampa is the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders right now, Steve. They are having a Detroit Lions-esque coming out party. They've been shellacking. I mean, they're not winning by huge margins, but they look good. I I honestly had not been paying like I I had not been paying attention to them hardly at all because after the beginning of the season right. and Josh Josh McDaniel being there their offense looking okay their defense looking like a sieve 
it just, you know, it spelled a recipe for, uh, you know, a six and 11 team. And it was like, okay, we can forget about them, but here they are. They won, won three in a row. What is it? Four of their last five. Their offense yep. is humming. Devonte Adams is right up there leading the, like right around leading the NFL and a lot of receiving stats. Um, Josh Jacobs is the greatest running back of all yeah, time. Josh Jacobs is technically on pace to break Eric Dickerson's single season record. If he maintains his per carry. Wait, uh, is that true? Yes. He would beat it by one yard. Holy crap. Like Josh. Yeah. Which again, crazy. They didn't sign him. They didn't sign him to his fifth year on his rookie deal because it was like, like it seemed like he was kind of cooked. Like he didn't bring yeah. a ton and he's completely flipped the narrative. He's been amazing. Incredible to watch. Their, de- so, their defense still concerns me in ways, but. Yep. If they get a lead though, and they can get those pass rushers going, that defense plays a lot better. Yes. With that's the lead. True. And Derek Carr looks to be much more settled within the oh, offense yes. than he did at the beginning of the year. At the beginning of the year, he looked, he had happy feet in the pocket. He was escape. I mean, granted their offensive line is not good, but Steve, it was not, it's not good. There, there were plays early in the year where you could tell Carr knew so little about what he was supposed to do on the play. It was like they blindfolded him and then he just had, they just had Devante shouting at him. Derek, I'm over here. And then he would just chuck it in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> there were multiple, like there were games like that. Like, I think Devante, like week two, had like 17 targets and only like six of them were caught or something. It's like, yeah. it literally was like Carr was blindfolded, throwing, throwing to Devante's voice. Where are you, Devante? Where are you? It's, and they're like, Derek Carr is usually, he's always been kind of an in command quarterback, whether they're on, yeah. but like, holy cow, did he at the beginning of the year look panicked and just like, oh my God, I got to get out of this pocket right now. And yep. like, exactly like turn, flip the hips, say a prayer and launch it to Devonte Adams or, or just, you know, the three 60 yard passes to Mac Collins, a game that never get completed. <laughs> yep. So, Steve, they're in risk of winning six games in a row because they get the Rams this week. They're at risk. <laughs> no, you, you always love the way I phrase things. <laughs> they're at risk of winning six games in a row, which would give them an eight and seven record, and they would be in the playoff picture. I mean. <laughs> that seventh spot is going to be a bloodbath. It, it is. In the AFC, because that's. Because right now, unless right now, that's really the only spot in my mind that is really up for grabs. Other than if yeah. Baltimore were to completely falter with uh, Lamar Jackson out, like if they were yeah. to drop three in a row, which I don't really think they will, they kind of have a favorable schedule. If they were to drop three in a row, then like okay, maybe we have the six and seven spot in play. But sure. right now, looking at it, the Jets feel like the spot that can be got because yep. the jets have a tough schedule. You know, they're kind of, you know, they're playing with house money here. They were never supposed to be in this position. Young Robert, team. Robert Sala's teasing that Zach Wilson might return at some point, which just chalk him up for however many L's he starts in. Like it's, you know, it feels very, like the like it could falter and so the raiders are yeah the raiders have a chance um 
Look at the the Raiders' schedule coming up too. This is why I said they're in risk of winning six in a row because they have the Rams this week. Yeah, which have have to assume that's a dub. I know it's the NFL, but the Rams. <laughs> I have mean, been a Rams so bad. team that might a Rams team on Thursday that might start Baker Mayfield. I that's... Well, yeah, that is tomorrow's game, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm actually going to watch a Thursday night game because I want to see Derek Carr smell the blood in the water and just go get it and just play that play that against that stupid soft zone that the Rams just continually drop into. Yeah. Watch Devante just tear that up. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. and then McDaniel gets his revenge game week 15, which historically they win Belichick's uh, like his tree. I swear to God, he does it. Usually it was when the Patriots had Tom Brady and he would keep that coach in position for like two or three years longer than they should because Everybody yeah. would look back and be like, look what they did to the Patriots. They shut them down. They beat them. It was crazy. And I feel like it's a little bit it's a little bit tighter situation now because Belichick and the Patriots are right in play for that seven seed as well. Yeah. But traditionally. Oh, that, that game is going to have a ton of playoff implications yeah. if, if cause they're both going for that seven seed. But I think it could – I know it was true at one time. I don't know if it's still true. But the only – like subset of people Bill Belichick has a losing record to is former coordinators of his. Yeah. It's hilarious. that's actually crazy. It's hilarious. Matt Patricia beat Bill Belichick in a football game. And he got like a year more of like in Detroit right. because of that game. <laughs> it was like, it was they dumped Gatorade on Matt's head after that game. Yeah. It was like, like week guys, three. It was like what? Week three or week five three. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. The Raiders yeah. finishing stretch though. That's where Facing the 49ers oh, and the Chiefs back-to-back. Hold on, though. They get the Steelers after the Patriots, so they could win those three games easily. Yes. Which would put them at 8-7. and seven. Yes. And then it gets real when they have to play the 49ers. That's basically a home game for them, even though it's not technically. Oh, no, it is oh. a home game. Well, wait, home game for the Raiders? Yeah. Oh, But yeah. it, it, is, it is actually a home game. Right. I was looking at the wrong... Wrong side it is, there. Yeah, it is legitimately a home game. They yeah, but I was saying, even if it was San Francisco, Francisco, they would get a ton of Raiders fans yes. there because yep, yep, a yep. lot of them still live in the Bay Area, obviously. Yep, yep. Um, but that game is going to be without Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm saying they they could be more competitive than we initially thought. And then the Chiefs, you fully expect the Chiefs to demolish them unless, Steve, the Chiefs have the one seed wrapped up. True. True, which is a hundred percent possibility because the Bengals play the Bills in the what was it the second or third to either week sixteen or seventeen, and if they if the Bengals won, if the Bengals won that game, they would both and let's say the Bengals also won the rest of their games going in. The Bengals and yep. the Bills both have four losses, and the Bengals have the two seed. If the Chiefs win out and are like in. No, there's actually, there's not, sorry. It all would come down to the Bengals. If the Bengals won out, this game matters for the Chiefs because they have three losses. If they lost to the Raiders, they yeah. would be at four losses and they'd lo- be losing the tiebreaker to Cincinnati for the one seed because of head-to-head. But if the Bengals falter at any point and that, you know, they have five losses and the Bills have, it doesn't matter if they have four losses because Chiefs have tiebreaker. It really all comes down to what happens with the Bengals and if they win out or not. 
point being though sometimes to have the the crazy comeback story the raiders are trying to put together you need to both get better and you need some luck along the way yes and they could very well get lucky yeah. and have a Chiefs team that's not playing for much yeah they could and possibility I mean, like you said so. luck the 49ers playing the 49ers without jimmy g that's i mean that's huge i don't it's yeah still comes down to can Derek carr produce against the 49ers defense because right, I think this entire sure. season hinges on the Raiders continuing to put up like 27 points a game. Because again, yep. their defense just, it's not that good. Their secondary is not that good. And they need to put themselves in a position, like you said, to have their defensive line pin their, ear backs, pin their ears back and go like the whole game. Correct. Okay. Let's get to our last game here and then get out of here. We Enough Raiders talk. <laughs> um, the New Orleans Saints fell to the, the home team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 17-16 on a Monday night thriller. Yeah. That was – it was a good game. It was a little bit low scoring. The Bucks' offense did basically nothing until Tom Brady was in a two-minute situation and was allowed to call the plays. Um, speculation, of course. Speculation, but it would – track because the buck yeah. the difference between the buccaneers and hurry up and the buccaneers in normal offense is like insane they lead i mean they're the number one offense and hurry up and they're like the number 25th offense when not in hurry up but tom tom makes another incredible comeback it just he he just always seems to do it and this one was very uh it was very fun to watch Hashtag fun to watch, but Tom looked awesome those final two drives, honestly. He did. He did. Rashad White looks great. I think that he's I think he's supplanted uh Fournette, in my opinion. I think he's way better. He's, <clears throat> he's way more Fournette, Fournette did have more touches in this game, but you can see the explosiveness with White. It's just a little bit better. I mean, how much does it mean that Rashad White was in for that last play and not Fournette? Probably a good bit. Yeah. I will say that Rashad White's whiffed in some pass pro responsibilities, which is probably the only thing keeping him from completely taking this job right now. Right. So they just say, if, yeah. If him and Tom can get on the same page there or him in the offensive line, I think the writing's on the wall for Fournette. I don't know what they're going to do with Fournette's contract because he's, he's way overpaid to be a backup running back. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And I'm, not, I'm not sure they can sidestep that, but that's that's an offseason discussion. Yes. Um. But the reality is the Buccaneers, every time they seem to falter, then they pick themselves back up and they are in a terrible division and they're kind of like firmly in first place in that division. I don't see anyone catching them now. With that win, yes. I think it, Yeah, with it, that win. With that win, for sure. I think that it's pretty much they're good. Unless something then, crazy happens. They owe the – they should send a division like ring or, or whatever – they get for that they should send one to mark ingram now i I think it stinks because he's catching a lot of flack for it but like the situational awareness was a little hard to watch from yes but also how do you expect your team to not get a third one and then punt from the team's 44 i didn't understand the saints game i didn't understand what the saints were doing at the end of the game at all Zero percent of me understood what was what they were doing. What do you, What do you mean, Steve? <laughs> Why are you punting there? 
Why are you, why, like, all of it, any of it. Andy Dalton was playing super well. Keep, their running game was terrible. Andy Dalton was playing very well. He has been playing very well all season. Just keep throwing the ball, in my opinion. Yeah, so for those that are not uh, sure what Steve's talking about, third and one, Tampa Bay 44. There's five minutes left in the game. Uh, the Saints were up, what, 16 to, was it three at that time? Was yeah. The, was that? It was 16 to three. Was no, Five minutes left in the game. Was that the drive before, was that the drive before the first touchdown for the Bucks? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. 16-3, third and one from the Tampa 44. Uh, for whatever reason, the Saints decided to throw the ball there instead of, I would have ran the ball twice. And they run a, they ran like a hurry up into it yeah they ran yeah, like that, a hurry that, up and it was a it was a one read one route call and it was a it was a slant route and it got broken yeah. up which fine i don't you know hey i don't hate no, I, but I you personally don't hate play, it. going back to the dj shark thing on thanksgiving the dj shark bomb you don't call the pass play on third and one from the 44 yes. unless you're ready to go for it on fourth down yes that's my firm stance especially against tom freaking brady I did see a chart. Um, I think it was it Arjun Manan. I think it might have been him, but I saw it on Twitter of the Saints have gone for it on fourth down like zero percent of the time when they should. Oh, zero, all season, zero percent. Good job, DA. It's been. Uh, yeah, just so, just so we're clear. Just so we're clear, they get to the fourth and one from the Tampa Bay 44, and they decide to punt. And Brady gets the ball from the nine, marches them down. They score a touchdown. Ugh, then they get a stop, get the ball back. Brady marches them down again, score another touchdown. Actually, they had to do it twice, right? Yeah, two in a row. called back. Yeah. Well, no, because Godwin scored, and yeah. then it got called back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was a that was a great throw and catch too. Oh my goodness, that, was, that throw was ridiculous. Godwin's a monster. Um, and then, oh, yeah. Oh, that was the third and one play of the throw to Taysom over the middle. It was a slant route. I thought it was a back side. I thought it was a front side slant. It might. It still might have been Taysom, but I think I thought it was a front side slant that. It was just tight coverage. I don't think it was a slant because it was a layered throw. Dalton had to put that over. It may have been a post. Dalton had to put that over um, a linebacker, basically between two defenders. And it was it was a very nice throw. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. Oh, that's – yeah, I know what you're talking about because there was – there were two plays that – that was a sick throw to Taysom. That was a. That great wasn't the third and one. No, that was that a third and yeah, seven. That was the, that was not the third and one. That was the second time they were coming around. The third and one again. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it was a front side slam, single route. Hurry up, like just go win your route. And yeah, yeah. I think it was. Uh, sure. I think it was Jamel Dean that locked him up pretty well there. And then they punted there. And then it was they punt. They and then they got the ball back. Andy Dalton, I think, got sacked on second down. He got sacked on second down and then ripped. Yeah, that absolute insane seam ball to Taysom and that was it was just a it was just a really good play on the ball by both the Bucks defenders yeah Taysom should catch this this he should this absolutely candidate for throw of the week though this was uh, third and 17 after the Tampa Bay their uh, first touchdown 
this this should have ended the game, but it didn't. Um. Anyways, long story short, Tampa Bay gets the W. They're cruising. They, I mean, they've what have they? They've won four of their last five. No, three of their last four. They should have won last week against Cleveland. So they're kind of low key surging right now as well. They're playing their best football of the year. Offense still has a long way to go, but their defense is really putting the clamps on people. It's so funny to say that because, like, the record says it. Every like everything says it, but every time I watch the game, I feel like zero percent excited or confident or <laughs> anything about the Buccaneers. In this situation where it's it's a, a drive with the game on the line, I am confident because I know Tom's the one That's calling fair. the plays. It's just but a matter like, of how many games is he going to get that chance if this offense exactly. keeps playing like this. Exactly. But <clears throat> they have a reasonable schedule down the stretch. So the only tough, I would say, like mountain they have to climb is versus Cincinnati at home. But they get San Fran this week, first game without Jimmy. That could be, you know, it's still going to be a tough game because San Fran's defense, as we've noted for the 70th time on this podcast. Uh, but then they get... After Cincinnati, they closed the season with Arizona, Carolina, Atlanta. Yeah, that's those. Those are three five hundred teams, basically. So I mean, they're or no, I mean not five hundred teams, significantly less than five hundred teams. Yeah. So, I yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the Buccaneers just blitz Purdy like crazy. <laughs> I would be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if Devin or if yeah Devin White. Take doesn't drop back once into coverage, and just they send him out after him like a banshee. Because he's gonna because Purdy will throw those yolo balls. I, I'm here for it. I'd like to see some gap exchanges too, just try to shut down this run game early. Yeah, just get, just get really real aggressive, which you know Todd Bowles has no problem being. So that's what. It, yeah, I think he'll smell blood in the water. It hasn't been like hasn't been as great this year as it had in previous year. They've they've had injuries on the and in the, on the back end of their defense and. We've seen Devin White be more of what he is than what a lot of people thought beforehand, and yeah. but I still think that if there's a if there's a defensive coordinator who's good at it, it's Bulls or he's a head coach now. But like if there's a person who runs a defense that's good at smelling blood in the water, it's Bulls for sure. And I think he'll I think he'll attack Purdy a lot. Yes, sir. All right, <clears throat> that's it. What a what a action packed. You know what we didn't mention, Steve? Gosh dang it. There were a lot. I mean, the Jets Minnesota. You need to be done. Jets Minnesota oh, is you know, that game honestly was terrible though. Such yeah. an awful game to watch. Um, Mike White is uh he's nearing his precipice, I think. Like he's due for it. it's either gonna happen this week or next week where he's gonna throw for like hundred and thirty yards and he's gonna have two interceptions. It's just like it's coming. Like it's it's yeah. close, it, but it's it's coming. It happened last time. I think it's I think we're seeing it happen again. Where I think that we could see Mike White a little bit fall back more, fall more back to earth than um than maybe the Jets want. Yep. Minnesota still keeps pulling things out by the skin of their teeth, and <laughs> they're ten and two. So <laughs> they're ten and two. They're ten and two, but they every two. game's a nail biter. Craziest ten and two team of all time. And then, yep. What was the other? You, what was the one other thing? Oh, we, we didn't talk about the biggest blowout of the week. I know it doesn't have a ton of playoff implications well, yet. 
No, the the Cowboys oh, were the. We talked about the biggest blowout. We didn't talk yeah, about right. the, the biggest surprise blowout. No, we didn't talk about the biggest blowout in my heart, Steve. Yes, yes. The Detroit Lions hosted the Jag- Jacksonville Jaguars and absolutely took care of business. The first game in. I don't know, recent memory, five, six, seven years where the Lions, you never for one second doubted the Lions were going to win that game. First time. They didn't punt. They scored on every drive that didn't end the game. They scored on every drive. How many times has that happened in your lifetime as a Lions fan? The last time it happened was, I think it was 2015 or 2017 against the Packers in week 18 in a not, doesn't matter game. Uh, was there turnovers though? Because no punts, no turnovers is incredibly rare. That, Four touch- I that I don't know. I know it was no punts. Yeah. I don't. I can't speak to the yeah. no turnovers though. So the Lions scored four touchdowns, four field goals, eight drives, eight eight scores. Defense was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> All I can say is, watch out. This like these next two weeks are their season, in my opinion. Yeah. These next two weeks are are one game at a time. Are gonna week, week 14 is their season but yeah minnesota i think minnesota jets are going to define what the season is it's either yep. it's either an like if they win both of them it's a or it's an awesome playoff run that some saw coming most gave up well, on but unfortunately they got absolutely boned by the commanders and the giants <laughs> deciding to tie that screws the lions so bad people don't realize it but listen if they get all all that matters is that if they get to 10 and 7 they have like an eighty-three percent chance of making it to the playoffs. Yep, and that's what they, like that means they have to it, win out. It does, so. it does. Yep. But again, it's these next two weeks. If they win, if they can win yep. two in a row, those last three games of the year are winnable, and yep. you're in business. This, I mean, the defense is clicking. They're all super young, but they seem to be figuring it out. Uh, James Houston has the greatest bend since Von Miller. Just kidding, but the skip to my Lou move was hilarious and insane. Um. You know why that worked, right? Because he had been had he been like bull rushing all day, and then... no, no, first quarter he just hits. Who who play, who's their left tackle? It's um Cam Robinson. Yeah, I was gonna say Robinson. First quarter he hits Cam Robinson with a pure speed rush and mm-hmm. a dip. He gets around the corner and and whacks Trevor Lawrence. Doesn't get a sack, but he whacks him. Yes, that's right. Yeah, um, Trevor. Which, that was a sick ball by Trevor Lawrence. That was an insane out route. It was like a fifteen yard out route. That he threw while James Houston just stuck a helmet right in the center of his gut. Yeah. So then he hits that. He changes the tempo on him and hits the skip to my Lou. And dude, look at Robinson's body language after. <laughs> like Houston stole that man's soul. I don't know that Robinson will ever yeah. be the same. No, probably not. I, uh, so James Houston's a six-round pick for the Lions. He led the or he broke the the HBCU sack record last year. Correct. Yes, he over he had over twenty sacks last year. Yeah, he's um, he's a ball. I mean, he's a baller. Like the only yeah. reason he hadn't been get, like the only reason he hadn't been getting on the field is that Dan Campbell and some of the like some of the coaches in Detroit had basically like said that yeah he's great at he's great at pat, rushing the passer but he's still learning a lot of the other aspects of the game like containing and well functional strength is a big issue with him as you saw in preseason because he was getting a ton of reps yeah. in preseason. They were moving, and they were moving him a lot. Of they were playing a lot of him in a lot of off the ball linebacker in camp, situations. In camp, they were in doing camp that and in preseason. Then, 
pre- preseason it was less than camp, and then now it's none. They're yeah, just, now they've just... completely abandoned that, and they're like, just go pin your ears back and go, which yeah. that is so great to have a weapon like that. Yes. But the, all that to say, the defense is coming alive and the offense is healthy. And if they're – I don't – I don't know how many teams can stop this offense. Like they've put up 31 points a game at home and the two games on the road that are the two games that are ruining their road points per game. They played not healthy. They played the the Patriots and the Cowboys, which was that two game stretch where they got beat up. They lost by a combined, what would it be? 53 to six. They put up yeah, six. They didn't have, they played without St. Brown basically yep. in the Dallas game. He played, he like he was hurt. He tried to play, I caught one pass and then never came back in the game. And they were missing Swift and their interior offensive line was a little bit in flux and just they had injuries kind of all over. But the team, they're getting healthy. The offense is humming. Ben Johnson is really, is really good at calling plays and the defense is kind of figuring it out. Yep. We'll see what happens. It's it's a they're, regardless, they're a very, very fun watch. <laughs> they are. Yep. Say I will say it again. Hashtag fun to watch. Cause that offense that offense goes and that defense they they're producing turnovers. The turnover luck is switching for them. That's what's been big too. Yep. Huge. Pressuring the quarterback. There were a lot of dropbacks in this game where Lawrence wasn't like so, a lot of times in the past, the Lions will have one player that gets pressure, yep, and then the quarterback just moves the pocket and yep. he's fine. There were a lot of drawbacks in this game where the entire thing was collapsing on Lawrence. Aleem was winning it, dude. Aleem had a rep against Brandon Scherf where he just threw him like seventeen miles. Um, he did a hump move, caught him right under the armpit, and just threw him on the ground like violently on the james houston sack pascal just bull rushed his guy all the way back into lawrence like if if houston doesn't get that sack uh pascal gets the sack immediately yeah, houston after. got there in like 0.5 seconds though so it's hard to... it's true it's hard to compete with that yeah. yeah all right we won't bore you with any more line stock but um they will become playoff relevant i bet at some point in the season just maybe the next it, next two games they just have to win one way out one way out. Have you seen Andor yet? No, I still haven't seen it. Dang you, Steve. I know. I dude I One way out. It's so much pressure to choose a TV show and run with it. It's not when it's as good as Andor. Just freaking watch it, man. All right, all right, all right. And then when you get to episode ten and you're you're feeling emotional revelation and a spiritual connection to the show, you can call me and we can talk about it. All right, deal. All right. Yeah. All right. That's gonna do it. <laughs> We're, we're out of here. The goal was one hour. We're at 122. Not bad for us because we're long-winded individuals. But uh, anyways, thank you so much for listening. Um, check out some of the cool content on the Fantasy Points website. We've got some really awesome stuff. I know the fantasy football playoffs are heating up. Now is the time to capitalize. Let's get after it. Engage. All right. We're out here. I'm your host, Brett Whitefield. This is my co-host, Stephen O'Rourke. We are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.